The Grammy Museum believes that music is a gateway to learning. Their mission is to explore and celebrate the enduring legacies of the creative process behind all forms of music through immersive and interactive exhibits and essential music education programs. Michael Sticka serves as the president and CEO. He's responsible for the creation of the museum's growth and sustainability as an independent nonprofit arts organization, overseeing the museum's national programming, including Grammy in the Schools, grants for music research and preservation, and national affiliates. Their many projects include the only gallery dedicated to Latin music in California, Grammy Museum at Home, a collection of virtual exhibits, artist programs, and educational content freely available to educators and music lovers worldwide, and their official streaming service, Collection Live. Michael Sticker, the Grammy Museum. Welcome to The Creative Process. Thanks for having me, Mia. Music really creates meaning in people's lives, you know well, and it said that songs are the bookmarks of our lives and how we cement those really meaningful moments. Just tell us a little bit about the ways in which the Grammy Museum, through exhibitions, events, and educational initiatives, celebrates both the history of the Grammys and the importance of music to society. It's actually right in our mission statement that we celebrate the music of yesterday and today to inspire the music of tomorrow. And we do it through our exhibits. We have 35,000 square feet of galleries. We travel exhibits really all over the world over the past 15 years. And through our education programs, we really focus on the next generation of music's creators and leaders. And we do that through really specific curricula that is designed to educate particularly young people, K-12, about the business of music, especially for those who want to go into the industry. I love that because we have the music and we have the business of music and you have these immersive exhibits where they learn how to like lay down a song or, you know, go in a little bit about that because, and the, your various educational initiatives. You have Grammy Camp and you have so many. We do. In fact, Grammy Camp is eight tracks and students can go into photography, music photography. If you think about just the visual elements of music and the live experience can focus on producing music vocal performance, music journalism. So we really cover, I think, the gamut of the industry and making sure that we're preparing young people to enter the industry and be successful. What we also do is we have our sessions that we call SESH, and that's focused on really kind of entry level. So music production 101, learning the art and craft of songwriting, which we actually then expand to understanding intellectual property rights to make sure that songwriters understand that that's their song and you know they own that song unless they sell that song and, and what that means. So we really want to make sure that everyone who goes through our programming, whether it's entry level or beginner to already accomplished high school students who are already accepted to university, that they're very, very well prepared. Yeah, we also you have exhibits on like the Songwriters Hall of Fame that also takes part in our project. And and as you say, through your exhibits, if you're selling that song, you're selling kind of part of your life as you go in and trace maybe the story of a song. There's so much condensed biography in that. Just talk about some of those exhibits. Well, we're very happy that we recently partnered with the Songwriters Hall of Fame to build an exhibit that's currently in New York and that will be in Los Angeles soon that celebrates the craft of songwriting. And you're right. So many songs can be autobiographical. So often that when someone sits down to pen a song, 
it's really coming from their own experience and, and their own background or what they're going through right now. And I think the beauty of that is that it can resonate with so many others who have had a similar experience or who are going through that experience. So we do that through exhibits and it doesn't stop with the Songwriters Hall of Fame exhibit. What we also do is celebrate musicians and their craft and their music through other exhibits. So for instance, right now, we have the power of women in country music, focusing on women who have taken country music, I think, to new heights. And some of my favorite artists are featured in that as well. So we really try to tell the story of music, not just the notes, but the background and the experiences as well. All these great artists, you know, before they won that Grammy, it's a long road, you know, it's not and doesn't end there. And just it's so hardening to know the places in which it came from and I would like to go a little bit more into those educational initiatives, like with the Grammy Camp. You're situated in Los Angeles. There are other Grammy museums, but the uh, different educational initiatives, they reach out to over 69 cities, over 18 cities. Just go a bit into that because it's quite extensive. Education is the core of our mission. So that's why we don't just focus on education in Los Angeles, although that's a big piece to what we do. Music is everywhere. Los Angeles, of course, is a major music center but music is everywhere. And so we feel to the extent possible that we need to scale our education programs to as many cities as possible. So what do we do? We have our signature school programming, which provides needed grants to public schools for music education, particularly purchasing instruments or anything else they may need for the learning experience. We have our summer session, which we just actually did in New York for the first time a couple of weeks ago. It's our songwriting camp that I alluded to earlier. We've career day. Think about it. There are musicians and there are music creators and music people in cities all over the country. So how do we use our relationships to connect professionals with students and schools throughout the country? And so we do that as well. This is, in my mind, the, the most exciting part is the ability to take our education programming and bring it to towns that aren't the Los Angeles's or New York or Nashville's where they're epicenters of music. But we bring our brand and our resources and our connections and our relationships to cities that have just as robust the music scene or students that want to be a part of the industry. And because, of course, that's where the innovation comes from. You know, there's this kind of reverberation effect when you're always around a small circle. So it's great to listen to the new sounds. Is there a place to listen to the music that's coming out of some of these educational initiatives? Maybe I'll give you a little teaser here. We have our Grammy in the Schools Knowledge Bank, which is taught by many of our music professionals that we work with. It's online and available now, but there's a 2.0 version of that that's going to be released in the fall of 22 that really is going to extract some of the best lessons and content that we have to provide an educational experience for free to really anybody who wants to dial in and listen or watch. And you also give support or lifelines to the young musicians or the young music researchers. You also recognize the importance of music teachers because, you know, someone turns them on to it and really passes on their knowledge. Well, that's our Music Educator Award. And that's one of our banner programs where we actually do that jointly with the Recording Academy. I think this year we had more than a thousand nominations. People submitted their music teachers or their colleagues to be recognized as a Music Educator Award winner. It's, I think, an incredibly impactful program, not just because 
the educator receives an honorarium and so does the school and so do the semifinalists. But I think it uses one of the biggest platforms out there and the telecast, the Grammy Awards telecast, to highlight the importance of music education. And we do that in the way that we're very good at, and that's recognizing excellence. It's really beautiful. I grew up when music education was a little bit more accessible, and now you really have to make an effort. I want to touch on some of those satellite programs, the traveling exhibition. It was the first season of the New York program. You have also, you're in Memphis and New Jersey. Just tell us all the different sites of the Grammy Museum and where the traveling exhibitions go. Well, our traveling exhibitions go all over, so they don't just go to Grammy-branded locations. As you mentioned, we do have affiliate museums that we oversee, and they're in Mississippi, Nashville, Tennessee, and New Jersey. Certainly our exhibits go there, but most of our traveling exhibits go to museums, historical societies, and other locations throughout the country. So I think that we are in a unique position as a Grammy Museum to provide unique curatorial experiences for people and for museums who want different content, who want to provide their audience and their members and their donors and their communities with different content. So we do that through our traveling exhibits. It's called Grammy Museum on the Road. And Grammy Museum on the Road is really a new focal point for us. And I think it kind of wraps together what we're trying to do in terms of a programmatic expansion. So I mentioned we did our summer session in New York City just in this past July. But we've also launched our public programs, which are our popular artist programs, where we have 45-minute interviews and typically a performance immediately following the interview. And they're in-depth interviews really about the artist's creative process, either about a new album or about just their creative process in general or, or whatever it is they might be working on at the time. We launched those in New York as well. And that really is, that's a very intentional piece to our mission and to our strategy to deliver on our mission because we want to be able to provide that experience that only we can provide to as many people as possible who might not ever even make it to Los Angeles. It's a kind of an intimate setting for your concerts as well, which is a really great opportunity. And your uh, museum members are thrilled because the people who've performed there are I mean, not just, we were talking about New York, but I'm talk, talking now about LA. Oh yeah, well, I mean, everyone has performed basically in the Clive Davis Theater at the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles. And speaking of surfacing that content, we have our own streaming service. It's called Collection Live. And Collection Live has over a thousand interviews and performances that have been done, some of which have only ever been seen by 200 people because that's the seating capacity of the theater. So we're really working on how do we share that content as wide as possible. So we're doing that through our streaming service, which is, again, called Collection Live. You mentioned, of course, your collaborations with your sister organization to the Grammy Awards, the Recording Academy. You have an exhibit about this, but could you just tell us a little bit, just the history, the beginnings of the Recording Academy? It's interesting. The Recording Academy was kind of just an idea for a while. And how is music recognized the music creators, particularly the recorded music? So it, it was kind of a scrappy organization at first. And I think we're coming up on 65 years of the Grammy Awards now, where it was done in a ballroom at a hotel. It wasn't televised. It really wasn't until Pierre Cossette, who was actually a Broadway producer, approached the Academy and CBS about the idea that this really could be a major telecast. So since then, it's been one of the most watched programs every year on television. So the Academy really was started, obviously, to recognize music and as it grew and understood that music just isn't 
here in Los Angeles. It's not just in New York. It's not just Nashville. It's in Atlanta. It's in Philadelphia. It's in Seattle. It's all over. So the academy started growing, and now it's 12 chapters across the country that work very hard day in and day out to represent music and music creators in their local communities and really bring out the excellence of music. Like the awards ceremony, I mean, the museum likewise, it's difficult to represent all the genres of music. Right now you have Peggy Lee. I would say that's an obvious choice, you know, it's important to celebrate. Fever must be, in my opinion, one of the greatest songs of all time. But what's that selection process? What kind of conversations are you having with the curators around the table? We're a small museum. So the ability to, at any given time, showcase all that music has to offer and the diversity of the genres and the artists. Frankly, it's impossible because we just don't have the space to do it. So we're very intentional about looking at our curatorial calendar and looking at the curatorial experience that we want to provide to our guests and then figuring out how we continue to be as representative as possible. And so we see that in a lot of the work we're doing and actually what we're planning on, which I don't necessarily want to get into here, but in terms of the conversations with the curators, sometimes we seek out the subject matter, either if it's a genre or an artist or a moment in history, whatever the case may be. Sometimes it comes to us. Sometimes we're small staff, so we don't know everything. We don't have all the resources. And sometimes an artist or a label or an estate, you name it, will approach us and say, hey, have you ever considered this? And through those organic collaborations, of which there are many, honestly come some of our best, our best content, some of our best exhibits. That's interesting because it's a collaborative creative process and you have museum members and you get feedback. So they're suggesting ideas to you? Oh, sure. We certainly do stakeholder research and we certainly understand our members and, you know, the genres and the artists that they really are passionate about and want to learn more about. But it's got to go beyond our members. We have to really think about the broader community and the broader music industry and how we become as representative as possible, given the limited footprint we have. One way we do that is through interactives, because with an interactive, you don't need all this gallery space. You need a wall or you need a table or you need some kind of setup where a visitor can learn about different genres and how one genre influenced another genre. And we do that through what we call Crossroads, which is a genre table that features more than 180 genres of music in that one interactive. You can kind of trace gospel music to blues music and to R&B music. And then you can really see with both visual and auditory examples how that music is connected. So that's one way we, we kind of look to make sure we're being as representative and as inclusive and comprehensive across music as possible. It's interesting how through technology, you can kind of see the different inspirational crossovers. If you could go into more about how you chart the history of how technology has changed our listening experience or also the artistry. I'm glad you asked that because it's one of our more popular experiences at the Grammy Museum. We have something called Mono to Immersive, which actually takes a Bruno Mars and Cardi B performance at the Grammy Awards. And we put guests, listeners into a room and they watched this performance and we had Grammy winning engineers mix these performances. What would that performance, what would Bruno Mars and Cardi B sound like if it were mono sound, so records, wax cylinder, think about that. And then what about on cassette? And then what about on MP3? And then now on streaming, and then what we call immersive, which is surround sound. 
So we really try to walk visitors through the history of recorded sound and how much technology has changed, not just the recording process, but the listening experience as well. Yeah, and it's created whole new aesthetics. It's very interesting, the new things that are possible. Just tell us, what have you learned during your time at the museum and how has this behind the scenes view increased your appreciation of music and the creative process? Oh my gosh, what have I learned? I've been in my role now for a little over four years running the Grammy Museum. I honestly, there's so much. There's so much I've learned in terms of, if you focus on music, one thing is it's really broadened my horizons in terms of music. And I've moved beyond just listening to Dolly Parton and really understanding hip hop and understanding Latin music and the many genres within Latin music. But I've also learned how to tell a story, I think. And that's what I learned from the curatorial department in terms of how do we really educate people in a compelling way so that their horizons are broadened just as much as mine have been. I think that's a general answer to your question, but it's true. I mean, if I picked one fact, I don't know. But if I am honest, it's really, I've learned to appreciate music in a very, very different way. And much more, my taste in music has has expanded beyond what it would have had I not had this role. Hi, I'm Mira. I'm a musician and I'm also a philosophy major. So there's this quote that's kind of been on my radar for a little bit. And it's, music is a great blessing and it has the power to elevate and liberate us. It can unite us to sing with one voice. And that's Nelson Mandela. Do you think music can change the world? Yes, I think it has. I think if you look at most social movements that have challenged the status quo and challenged even just the establishment at the time, there's been a soundtrack to those movements. And I think that that is what maintains and fosters the movement and fosters the people to get behind it. So there's no question that music can change the world. It already has. Absolutely. Well said. And it's also what gives us reprieve from some of the other things. Why was it that you chose to be president of a music museum as opposed to one of the other mediums? It chose me. You know, I'm not a musician. I like to call myself a nonprofit administrator. I love nonprofits. I love the arts. I actually got my start producing theater. And when I joined the Recording Academy, that's when I really started to have a much deeper appreciation for music beyond just listening to it in my car or the few times a year I make it to the gym type of thing. So, you know, the reason I say it found me is because when I took over the museum at the time, the museum actually needed my skill set. But I will say this, it's an incredible experience to run a museum and to have a team like I do that is in a traditional art museum because I feel like we get to stand out. We get to be different. We get to push the boundaries a little bit more. We get to talk about different subjects in a way that I think it would be maybe challenging for an art museum to do so. One of the big initiatives for us is we understand just as the technology and the way that people consume music has changed. I think the way people are consuming, particularly museum content is changing. So if you go to our website, we have virtual tours. You have Oculus, those virtual reality glasses. You can actually walk around our galleries and experience the exhibits almost as if you were there. I don't think anything beats or changes the in-person experience, but we do understand that the way that people are consuming content and what they expect from museums is a different experience now. And that experience needs to have very strong ties to digital. So that's a major initiative of ours that's really woven throughout our public programs, which I talked about 
Reflection Live and our streaming service through our Gramming the Schools Knowledge Bank, our education programming, and then tying that all together is the virtual curatorial experience as well. And one thing we didn't touch on so much, but you mentioned the aspect of bringing students in to be music journalists or photographers, the image making of music, the costuming, that they can see the actual embodiment of the musicians they so admire, the stagecraft of it. It's true. I mentioned I got my start in theater. Theater always had that visual component, that visceral experience, the set, the costumes, the lighting, the sound. Music didn't always have that, right? You had and your philharmonics and you go see a music at a club or you know folk music where it's not as this visceral experience it's all great and i love all of that but now i think what we're seeing is musicians and artists are actually taking a page from the the broadway or the theater playbook where they're creating this environment sets lighting you name it to really try to cover all the senses and i think that's exciting i think it's really cool because it to me it's it's the entire experience and the music now brings that to people as you think about the future and education the importance of music and live performance in the digital age what do you think is the importance of the arts and what would you like young people to know preserve and remember I think the arts are critically important. They help us understand how to be more inclusive. They help us understand how to interpret in a different way. And I think those two characteristics, understandings, are critically important for everything else, for all the other STEM-related subjects. Because it's not just about entertainment. It's really about, I think, the human condition. And I think arts are what provide for that. So I would just say, certainly, if you have the opportunity, if you're a student, even if it's not a part of the required curriculum, if there's an art class, whether it's pottery or music or acting or whatever the case may be, sign up for it because it gives us a different perspective, not just on our educational journey, but just in life in general. Yeah, this explains so much. There's something going on between the facts, and I, that's mm -hmm. definite for me what the arts do. Thank you, Michael Sticker and the Grammy Museum for the important work you do to preserve culture educate through music, and nurture and inspire future generations of artists. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. After I graduated eighth grade, there was one teacher that really stood out among all for me, the music teacher, one of the figures in my life who instilled in me a true love for music. He opened up many opportunities for me from kindergarten and enabling me to hit a tambourine the correct way to eighth grade and pushing me to follow through with an audition that scored me a spot in the high school jazz ensemble, where the momentum of my music journey continued, opportunities fueled by my new director. He was so one with music that his instrument was his name. I got much better at a new style of playing and felt like I understood music more than I ever had. Upon graduating high school, he was also the teacher that stood out most for me. It was in his ensembles that I solidified my connection to the piano and gained a deeper appreciation for all things music, sound, production, marketing, and more. Recently, I returned to my high school to watch the last concert that teacher would direct before he retired. It was an emotional night for many members of the community. I saw my eighth grade teacher there too, and it felt like a culmination of sorts as I reached the next turning point of my own music career. But when the news broke that the replacement teacher would only fill a part-time role, a large portion of the community was concerned that the high school's future students would be deprived of an entire sect of their education. 
Less time means less options for students, a smaller budget, and less emphasis on music implies it might be less important than the other disciplines, discouraging students from participating. There was a petition that circulated the towns, but no further updates. So organizations like the one Michael Sticka leads are crucial to our communities. The more things we are able to try, the more literary, scientific, or creative processes we are introduced to, especially as children, the more we can hone in on the one that really speaks to us. Music can be a home for those who find one in no other disciplines, or even those who do. And by providing a resource or even just an introduction to it for those who may not get one otherwise, the Grammy Museum is fulfilling a great duty. Music really does have the power to change the world. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Yan Molshaski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interviews producer on this podcast was Mira Potla, and digital media coordinators are Jacob A. Preisler and Megan Hagenbarth. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening. <laughs>